0: number two of the get right here on 105 three the fan my name is alec medford i'm joined by the three-time hall of famer chris arnold got you down and larry flores holding things down for you the tolo the turn it on leave it on listener we appreciate you for checking us out here on 105 three the fan also live on twitch and youtube twitch.tv slash dallas fan cam or search 105 through the fan on youtube the truckrick.com text line is 877-881-1053 877 881 1053 to get involved in any and all of our conversations. Coming up on the other side why did mark cuban sell the mavericks how will that new partnership work we got all the answers from mark cuban
1: in his own words
0: in his own words he broke it all down yesterday to the media after everything went official we'll get into that here in about 18 will minutes. he
1: run for president how come <laughs> he didn't give it to his kids uh it will it stay in dallas is he gonna try to help lobby the gambling is he going to trade for a LeBron? No. Uh, we'll get you all <laughs> of
0: the business answers. What happens if they don't like the way you're running the team, Mark?
1: He <laughs> we'll answered all those questions. It. Yeah,
0: All of the stuff that we've been kind of throwing up in the air since it happened. We'll get you that here in just a few minutes on the other side. But I did come across a piece from CBS Sports' uh, Chris Trapasso, and It's a piece breaking down the greatest strength of every Super Bowl contender as things stand right now. And I can tell you right now, the Cleveland Browns is uh, Joe Flacco right now as we have Thursday night football. We'll keep you up to date on that matchup as the Browns are playing the New York Jets. Mm -hmm. They're up 22-7 on the Jets very early in the second quarter of action. But it does look like the Browns just fumbled the ball and gave it back to the Jets so we'll keep you up to date on that one as it goes along. But uh, we will start with your Dallas Cowboys, of okay. course, as they have won as many games as they have for a reason. They're not a bad team, even right. though we they've had a stretch of two bad games and we've really been harping on some major issues. It's not because it's a bad team. It's because we know they're better than this. So they're good at. Quite a few things if you ask me, but what do you think the national perspective has as the Cowboys' biggest strength going into the postseason?
1: Is it a player or is it a, a part of a, a group? It's an overall skill, an overall group. They would probably say the defense, and I'm saying it's the offense.
0: They say specific the defense, but specifically.
1: Micah Parsons.
0: Close. It's the, what he the, does. The pass rushers. The pass rush.
1: Remember I was just saying about an hour ago mm-hmm. that – Dan Quinn changed up his style up against the uh, Miami Dolphins. The team that leagues the league in pressure did not pressure Tua.
0: Yeah, just right when the national media starts recognizing it, he gets away from that. Mm -hmm. And what happens? You lose the game in a close one. But the Cowboys are the current owners of the number one pressure rate in football at just north of 45% of plays. They are getting pressure on the quarterback. And this is what Micah fighting through holds. Yeah, and it seems like Micah Parsons hasn't showed up in the two huge road losses. He's registered 15 pressures in the past two weeks, which are impacting the game for sure. And remember, Josh Allen only threw 15 passes against Dallas, and he's registered 15 pressures in the past two games combined. So there's still some good work being done by Micah mm-hmm. Parsons, despite the lack of sacks and despite the holding.
1: He said yesterday at the game, I was asking him about his speed. I said, is your speed... Something that they have to account for because offenses have to account for it. Should referees have to account for it? And he went off about that. Yeah, he said, yeah, they haven't seen anybody like me. All the great pass rushers, we do something different, and I'm the fastest. He said, humbly, I'm saying this, I'm the fastest pass rusher in the league. I'm paraphrased. And then he also said that on those holes, he said, I don't flop. He said, I always think I can still make the play. And you want to hear that as a Cowboys fan.
0: Yeah. We ran a few of those pieces of sound last night. If you missed it, you can go back uh, in the fourth hour of the get right yesterday with myself and Blake Elliott at 10 o'clock. We ran some of those quotes because we did run that first one. You mentioned where you asked him about the refs needing to account for speed Mm -hmm. and it's definitely a valid conversation. And I thought it was interesting that he kind of agreed and he knew about that. He said, look, respectfully, I'm not like the rest, you yeah. know, and the refs don't realize because he was like, the opposing offenses realize I'm not like the rest because mm-hmm. they're playing me differently than other pass rushers, than, you know, your your typical, like, run-of-the-mill Miles Garrett, your other guys, your Bosa twins, you know, they're not mm-hmm. scheming me the same way they scheme those guys because they know they can get away with certain things against a guy like Micah Parsons.
1: Yeah, and here's the other thing. I said this to you two nights ago, the solution, because everybody's like, yeah, what can they do about it? In the offseason. And he mentioned this too. They're going to have to figure out what to do. And I said this the night before that. It's kind of like Des caught that ball in Green Bay, right? Des yep. Dez made that move, the way they worded what's a the reception, they didn't think an athlete could do it. He did something that they thought could not be done. Therefore, in their minds and according to their rules, that was not a catch. Well, guess what? That is now a catch. That is now considered a football move. So they can address this. Just don't watch them do anything different this season.
0: From the 2 on 4 we need Mike going to make big impact plays on third down. He's walking on the field with his hands on his hips. Well, I mean, it is the car crash sport for one. Why? But, but two, he is making impact. He's yeah. pressuring the quarterback faster and at a higher rate than anybody He's in the NFL. He's tying guys up. Yeah.
1: They're holding him.
0: Yeah, it's to the point where they're having to commit and fouls And that's a lot him. of
1: work. Can you imagine going through these holes every freaking down, every snap? I mean, it's not like he's just running around, guys. No, they're holding him up. They're not chipping him. They're holding him.
0: And it's usually two guys. (laughs) Yes, it's
1: usually two guys. As he put it, the film is out there. That's why he's talking freely and not talking like Marshawn Lynch where he was, I'm here so I won't get fined.
0: That's one thing I was very respectful of last night when we ran that sound. He, He was very calculated in his statements to where, like, he took aim at the refs and he took aim at what was happening, but he wasn't exactly lighting them up. He wasn't exactly attacking them. It was just a, I'm aware of it, and I think they need to be better. But that's it.
1: No lies told.
0: No lies told. Uh, So the Dallas Cowboys' biggest strength being the pass rush. CBS Sports continues to write that Dak Prescott is having a career year, and without question, CeeDee Lamb has emerged as an elite wide receiver. But the genuine strength of this Cowboys team is its splash play-generating defense. Parsons leads all all of football with 97 pressures. Deron Bland is still the leader in interceptions with eight, including five pick sixes, which we all very well know by now. It takes a sensational offensive effort to effectively move the ball and score points against the Cowboys, even though uh, the running game becomes uh, trendier in bad weather late in the season, in the playoffs, etc. Part of the formula to win games in the modern era is stopping the pass, and the Cowboys have been pretty good at that even without Trayvon Diggs and a guy like Leighton Van Esch, I think that's something mm-hmm. we still haven't talked about enough, the impact of losing your true field general. He has been, for years now, the quarterback of that defense. Even if he's not a green dot helmet guy, he's still aligning the defensive front saying, hey, man, you're in the wrong spot. Hey, you should get this lineup and you might get a better bull rush, etc. You're missing your field general too, and you're missing your ball hawking corner. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, The pass rush still prevailing because all the metrics will tell you they're doing their work, and Micah Parsons still, incredibly enough, even though he's getting held up, he's still getting to the quarterback.
1: And uh, Tank Lawrence was getting to the running backs uh, last game, so their run defense has actually improved a little bit over the last couple of games. I I, I said this earlier, Miami's vaulted running attack, you know, the two guys, they didn't get 100 yards rushing together. One of them got mostly got kind of hurt a little bit. he got back into the game and scored a touchdown. The the uh, previous week Buffalo just ran wild on them, and this upcoming uh, Detroit game they got a couple of running backs. As uh, who is describing them? I want to say Zeke was no, it was uh, it was Micah describing. He said they're like what he said they run their offensive running backs the way the Cowboys ran it with Zeke and Pollard. Uh, one dirty yards, one with the flash. And he said, we're used to that at practice because that's what they go against in the practice. So they think they can handle the running attack that Detroit's going to show them this weekend.
0: I was going to go read you what they have the Detroit Lions as their biggest strength. They don't have them as a Super Bowl contender on CBS Sports
1: Shots fired.
0: Yeah, shots fired. That's all at Dan them. Quinn
1: fires team up.
0: I will go to the rest of the I NFC. I mean Dan though. Campbell, excuse me. Yeah, I will go to the rest of the NFC. Take that Chris Trapasso. Um 49ers. I'm going to go to the San Francisco 49ers where their biggest strength is
1: the running attack. No, the I want to say the running with DK Metcalf? No, not Metcalf. We yeah, are talking about uh, an extension. Debo, of- Debo and, and, and McCaffrey. McCaffrey and Debo.
0: I will say it's pretty much an extension of the run game, the yards after the catch.
1: Yep, the yards after the catch because you can't you can't bring them guys down. Kyle Neither Sh- one of them.
0: Kyle Shanahan is the NFL's premier yards-after-catch schemer, and as per usual, they are leading the NFL in yards-after-the-catch yes. per reception. San Francisco has averaged the most yards uh, after-the-catch per grab in each of the five seasons – that uh, Kyle Shanahan has Mm -hmm. been running things out there. Six in a row would be quite incredible, and if they continue at this rate for the next two weeks, they will have done it six years in a row, leading the league in yards after the catch. So with the combination of George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Jawan Jennings, Christian McCaffrey, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth, the list just goes deeper and deeper. The 49ers are absolutely as dynamic as it gets. And when the playoffs arrive, yards after the catch is vital because, like they just mentioned in that Cowboys write-up, you do get to you know some outdoor games where some weather might come into play. Mm-hmm. You need to get quick dump-offs to your dynamic playmakers that are going to make a guy or two miss, and they're going to generate yards after the point of the catch. So a big thing there for the 49ers is that they always seem to get right.
1: Okay, except against Baltimore. And let me that say this. That is true. And they me, had to defend
0: it defended well.
1: Let me, let me tell you something. Baltimore's got the blueprint for the 49ers and all these uh, defensive coordinators better be looking it up and studying it up. Dan Quinn, I'm talking to you. And this is how Kyle Shanahan does these things. He's lost two Super Bowls, one in Atlanta with Dan Quinn and the other with the 49ers by insisting on throwing the ball in the fourth quarter. Okay? With that being said, if he's looking for Yak as being yards after the catch, he's in trouble. If he's looking at Yak as yards after carry or after contact, rather, yards after contact, he might be able to get away with it. But you've got to force Kyle Shanahan to do what he thinks he can do best, which is, again, Baltimore showed you they had Purdy with four picks. Four.
0: It's incredible what they were able to do because it felt like we weren't going to see at least at this rate, another kind of bad game from Brock Purdy. You I might thought have seen it was going to be a it,
1: close game.
0: You might have seen an average game from mm-hmm. Brock Purdy sprinkled in in those last three weeks of yes, the season. It. Yes, CT. But, yeah, man, I, I still think <laughs> to this day they lied about his concussion protocol. Yeah, me because too. Th- me too. he came back that same week after mm-hmm. suffering it. Like four days of practice went by, and he ended up playing that week, and he played horribly. Mm-hmm. So you cannot change my mind there. Speaking of the Baltimore Ravens, their biggest strength – is the same as the Dallas Cowboys, their pass rushing unit. Uh, The Ravens enter week 17 with the most sacks in football at 54 and are tied for six in pressure rate at 40.5%. In short, Baltimore's pass rush really brings it. And how they've gotten it, And all that production up front has been a departure from Wink Martindale and his tenure before he left to join the Giants when the Ravens Uh just sent the kitchen sink on every other down with those zero blitzes. Now their new defensive coordinator that's probably going to be a head coach next season, Mike McDonald, has dialed up a blitz on a mere 22.7% of opponents' dropbacks. That's the 10th lowest rate in the NFL. 10th lowest blitz rate. And they are still getting home with the most Saxon football.
1: And for those who are wondering, who the hell is Mike McDonald? No, we're not talking about Michael McDonald, the singer from the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> we're talking about Mike McDonald, who was running that Georgia Bulldog defense for the last couple of years. He snatched him right. You know how all those Georgia defenders wind up in Philadelphia? Well, Baltimore said, you know what? I'm, we're going to take the coordinator.
0: Mike McDonald, I'll say it again. He's going to be a head coach next year. And if mm-hmm. not next year, the year after, because he is young. I think he's only like 36. I want to say something like that. That's what
1: they're doing nowadays.
0: Yeah, these younger coaches uh-huh. are assistant coaches. The Sean
1: McVeigh's of the world.
0: Yeah, Sean McVeigh really set the blueprint, didn't he? He did. It, it, it's become the young assistant coach gets all the looks. He'll get Mike McDaniel. Yep, you know, down in Miami. Look at Kyle Shanahan. Uh-huh. You see these uh, old boy Zach Taylor.
1: Yep, Zach Taylor, too. Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals.
0: You're starting to see it more and more, and it's even, working.
1: Even Stefasko, who's the head coach of the of the Browns, he was coordinator.
0: Yeah, he looks like he could be in his mid-50s, but he's still one of the younger guys uh-huh. in
1: the league, too. That's the to stress.
0: Yeah, it, it was Saw definitely the stress. <laughs> yes, all the quarterbacks he went through last year. man, <laughs> And it ha- this year, too. Man, he went into the season on the hot seat. And now he's got Joe Flacco playing quarterback off the couch, and they're probably going to make the playoffs as it's now about to be 27-7 to in favor of the Cleveland Browns over the New York Jets as the extra point is good. It's not even halftime. Yeah, and Joe Flacco is responsible for most of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another passing touchdown for mm-hmm. Joe Flacco that puts them up 27-7, to and like CA said, it's not even halftime. There is still six minutes left in the first half. And Joe Flacco already has himself a couple of touchdowns on 215 yards of passing. Mm, So, mm, mm. look out for those Cleveland Browns, man. We talked about it two nights ago, the AFC wildcard contenders, and how the AFC has overnight become a lot more interesting
1: than we expected it to be. Oh, yeah, buddy. It's not Kansas City (laughs) and the Seven Dwarfs.
0: Oh, man, it's gotten ugly out there. Uh, That's a look at some Super Bowl contenders greatest strength from CBS Sports and coming up next right here on the get right. Why did Mark Cuban sell the Mavericks? How will that new partnership work? All the questions answered by Cuban himself next on the fan. Back here on the Get Right on 105.3 The Fan. We're about to get into some Mark Cuban in his own words. We'll get you all the best quotes from his interaction with the media yesterday after the sale was approved of his majority ownership stake to the Adelson family. We'll let you know what his future plans are, long-term and short-term. That in just a moment. It's the Get Right, Alec Medford, and the three-time Hall of Famer, Chris Arnold. Got you down. And coming up on the other side, we'll take a trip around the association, get you up uh, the latest updates on the Mavericks game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They did make a signing that was official today, and he is with the team today. We'll let you know all about him and what could have been with the Clippers. Got some great sound that we'll get to there, but... The best thing that happened
1: was yesterday Mark Cuban was available to comment about all the speculation since it was announced, or actually the news broke, that Mark Cuban has sold his majority interest in the Dallas Mavericks. You mentioned to me off the air that your other young gun counterpart, Blake Elliott, the fan phenom, Mm -hmm. he was also amongst that media scrum. So let me set the stage. Mark Cuban doesn't do He doesn't do that many press conferences. He really doesn't. He he might do something official for the Mavericks. you know, They're holding up jerseys, new signing or whatever. But he he used to, before the pandemic, always talk to the media before the game while he's on his stair stepper. Always before the game, he would always, before the stair stepper, shoot baskets because he loves playing pickup basketball to this day. Well, yesterday, before the Mavericks-Cleveland game, he's out there early. Shippy's on the ones and twos. In the American Airlines Center, he's playing the background music. And the reporters, these weren't the TV reporters. These were a lot of the beat writers and a couple of radio guys, some of the bloggers, they were out there. Yeah. And you couldn't hear his answers real good because of the music. You had all this music in the background. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you Cuban's answers. The great Brad Townsend of the Dallas Morning News, longtime beat writer. He has written the question and answers down. So for everybody speculating, is Mark going to run for president now? Uh, Does this have to, is the team going to Las Vegas? All these questions are answered. And so here we go. By saying this, he sold the majority interest of the Mavericks, but Mark Cuban still owns 27% of the team, and the NBA Board of Governors approved the sale to Miriam Adelson and her family, uh, her son-in-law Patrick and, and daughter Sivan, or Sivan, Dumont. Uh, Patrick is going to be the new governor for the Dallas Mavericks. The vote was 29 to nothing, all in approval. Mm -hmm. So here are the questions and answers. Um, Again, thank you, Brad Townsend of Morning News, for putting this in writing so we can give everybody, not speculation, but the words out of Mark Cuban's mouth. I'll be Mark.
0: So the first question was probably the most important one because, you know, whenever you have a big deposit, hit the bank account like that. How are you feeling after today's events?
1: Mark says, "I feel really good. I think it's a great partnership. It's what the team needed on the court and off. You know, I'm still overseeing the basketball side of it, but having a partner like Patrick Sivan or Sivan and Miriam and their ability to build and redevelop the arena and whatever comes next beyond that just puts it all in a puts us all in a much better position to compete. That's all. That's what it comes down to."
0: And I think I'm taking the same point of view that he is. I think it's a great thing for the team, both on the court and off the court. And so he doesn't feel any different after the events?
1: No. He says, uh, my jump shot is still soft. Hey, I'm 65 years old. I'm still out here shooting. That's all that matters, but nothing else changes.
0: So, what exactly is the agreement in terms of basketball operations? Is it in the sale agreement? Was there a change to contracts or anything? A lot of people were
1: wondering about that. Nope, because you don't do that in a sale agreement. Now, there's no contractual agreement. Like when I came in and bought the Mavs in 2000, there were no changes in actual contracts.
0: So, that means it's pretty much just a handshake agreement that he's still there in power.
1: It's, an, it's a partnership, right? They're, they're not basketball people. I'm not a real estate person. That's why I did it. I could have got more money selling it to somebody else. Obviously, I'm really excited about everything, but this is a great partnership. I've known these guys for a long time. They're great at the things I'm not good at.
0: And why was keeping control of basketball operations still important to Mark Cuban?
1: Because that's what I love to do. But I'm also a realist and I'm also self-aware. I know what I'm good at. When I first bought the team in 2000, I knew more about technology and the internet and all the streaming and everything and everything that anybody else in the NBA knew. So I had a real advantage there. Now, all of that 23, 24 years later, that's not the advantage anymore. Now you see what other teams are doing. You see what the Wizards just did. The advantage is what can you build and where? You need to have somebody that's really, really, really good at that. And Patrick and Miriam are the best, literally in the entire world. So, when you get a world-class partner who can come in and grow your revenue base, so you're not dependent on things that you were you, that were in the past. Well, that's a huge win. And they're good people. They're committed to Dallas. They're committed to winning. That's they they've got really great hearts. I've known them forever
0: real quick joe flacco just threw a pick six after i was giving him all of his flowers so oh, close to, uh, the jets are about to close that gap a little bit it's going to be 27 to 14 now an ugly pick six but uh two or three years ago mark cuban was saying that he would hopefully own the team own the mavericks for another 40 years
1: well he changed
0: what changed
1: media companies going out of business or they're consolidating the world is changing and so what went from an advantage was not so much of an advantage anymore. And it was two or three years ago I started talking about a casino and destination resort, and I knew, and I told you guys then, I wasn't gonna. it wasn't going to be the me the one building it. It makes sense. If someone's going to come in and be a partner and invest potentially billions of dollars, they're going to want some equity.
0: The question that the fans all want to know and care about most for the most part How does this benefit the basketball on four product?
1: It's another basic revenue that wasn't there before. I've never really focused on that side of things at all. Business side was the business side as long as we were decent. Scent has done a great job, Scent Marshall, and I was happy. Losing money was like part of the drill, but it all just changed. When your largest revenue source goes away, and he starts laughing, and you guys know how the media landscape has changed, To be able to get the best of both worlds with a great partner, it just doesn't come along all the time. It's better to be ahead of it than to be behind the curve.
0: Is the belief still that the new arena will be built right here in Dallas? For sure. In Dallas City Limits. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Dallas proper. Hmm. Interesting. Hiring and firing of coaches, free agents, etc. You always had the final say in that. Will you still have it, Mark Cuban?
1: Yeah, unless we want to go hire somebody else that costs a couple hundred million dollars a year, yeah.
0: What happens if in two years the Adelson family doesn't like the way things are going on the basketball side?
1: It's like anything else. They'd have the final say for sure. He's the governor. I'm sure we would work it out.
0: Another big question that the fans want to know, what are the decisions in terms of luxury tax in basketball?
1: They're basically just, hey, you do what you got to do. I want a new arena. Financially, we're in a far better position as one of, uh, as of this afternoon than we were yesterday afternoon to be able to compete like that. What did someone say about being a middle class billionaire? Those are facts in this day and age. In reality, it matters. Um, having the partnership and having eventually new and deeper revenue sources allows us to be better as a team.
0: The most important question, have you actually seen the money hit your bank account?
1: <laughs> he smiles. <laughs> Just smiling wildly.
0: Are you still a middle-class billionaire, Mark Cuban?
1: Relatively speaking, yeah. But I still own twenty 27% of the Mavericks. And those of you who watch Shark Tank on Friday nights on ABC know that I say all that all the time for this particular case. of a watermelon is a whole lot better than 27% of a grape. And so I think that the value of the asset went up significantly. Again, from the fan side, it's a huge plus. The Adelsons, they're committed to the city. It's not like, okay, we'll just see what happens. I came in in 2000. I wanted to be a basketball person. That's not what they do. That's not them. I wanted to be the tech guy and I wanted to raise hell, technology, changing all of that. That's not them. Their version of impact is going to be creating that destination that hopefully changes tourism in Dallas and in Texas forever. I mean, that's a huge impact. Being part of an organization like that gives you a foundation financially. And if you look at the teams that spend the most money right now, it's not because of their media deals. It's because of their real estate empires that they've built. And I have no knowledge of that at all. It's been hard enough learning the pharmacy and basketball business, let alone trying to learn real estate as well.
0: How active is Mark Cuban going to be in helping gambling become legal in Texas?
1: Because I think it's the right thing for the state of Texas. You know, honestly, I don't really care so much about sports betting. Mm. That really doesn't interest me. I don't want to speak for Miriam and Patrick. I'll let them speak for themselves. But if you're looking at destination resort casinos, The casino part of it is relatively tiny to the whole destination aspect. Can you imagine building the Venetian Resort in Dallas, Texas? That would be insane. I think that kind of impact is equivalent to what we're trying to do with technology back in 2000, about 24 years ago. Real estate.
0: This is all happening at the same time, roughly, that Mark Cuban is stepping away from Shark Tank. Is he not growing weary of that spotlight?
1: Hey, it's different, right? If you look... Oh, hang, hang on a second. I'm misstepping here. He says, yeah, that's not. Yeah, hold, ask the question once more time.
0: What, the page? He yeah. says. You're,
1: uh, you're stepping away from Shark so Tank. So
0: it's happening the same time roughly that he's stepping away from Shark Tank. Is he not growing weary of the spotlight?
1: Yeah, that's me. I'm shy. I don't like the spotlight. No, 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 no. I've got another year left on Shark Tank. Those reruns will next will run for the next 757 years. Any I will be in the spotlight.
0: Any emotions after giving up so much of a stake?
1: Not really. My kids were like, "Will we still have the same tickets. Yeah. Same seats. (laughs) Yeah. Alan Silver will like, yeah, I'll still be able to find you for screaming at the refs. I was like, yeah. The only thing that changes really is I don't get to go to the board of governor meetings except when the alternate governors go. I'm fine with that. Trust me, because I wasn't going to a lot of those meetings as it was.
0: What a dunk on the league. Uh, What can he tell us about the new majority owners?
1: Miriam probably won't be here as much, but Patrick and and Savon are just really good people with really good hearts. They've got young kids that love basketball, so you'll see their kids running around just like you saw my kids running around when they came to games. Good family, good people. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this partnership.
0: Uh, It's hard to imagine the Cowboys not being part, or uh, hard to imagine the Adelson family not being part of the Jones family. Did you ever have that vision?
1: Let's say that again. Covering the Cowboys, it's hard to imagine.
0: Well, I'm— you know, that's I'm I'm not the reporter.
1: Yeah, exactly. The reporter asked him, cover the Cowboys. It's hard to imagine the Cowboys not being a part of the Jones family. Did you ever have that vision that you would not be a part of the Mavericks forever? He said, quote, if you look at the teams, he said, quote, it's different, right? If you look at the ages of my kids, 14, 17, and 20, I'm 65. I know I look 25 and act 15, but I'm 65. Just do the math. If it takes twenty years for one of my kids to really learn, and any of them to say, you know, I really want to do it, then guess what? If they decide they don't want to do it, and all of a sudden I'm 85 years old, and my kids decide they don't want they want to do better things, then what? So I wanted to get ahead of it. If if I would have had kids twenty years earlier, like Jerry did, then maybe it'd be different. But the math is the math, and so I, like I said, I'm self-aware. I don't want to have to be in a position where I look back and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. But now I'm just like, you know, you got to pick the partnership that you needed and you wanted.
0: Is Cuban proud of what he's done in nearly 25 years?
1: This is where he got a little bit emotional in front of the media. He says, you know, I don't know if proud is the right word, but I've loved every minute of it. It's not so much that it's changing. It's just that it's been 23 years. That's the insane part. It's like, wow, time flies.
0: And how was Cuban
1: notified that the sale was approved? Oh, just looked at my bank statement. I think that's that's the
0: biggest flex ever.
1: And yeah, Mike dropped. He looked at the bank statement and (laughs) that's how he knew that's official. And again, he still owns 27% and everybody's curious about, I mean, all those questions answered all the speculation, except for one, where exactly will this resort casino be located and when will the casino part happen? The number one part is the casino part does not happen until you get gambling legalized in the state of Texas. Who knows how long that's going to be? But Cuban is betting that it happens sometime in the next, I don't know, 10 years, I would, I would think. Adelson's probably going to jump in there quicker. But this is what they do around the world.
0: Jerome Ford has scored yet again for the Cleveland Browns. It is now 33-14 to 14 in favor of the New York Jets on Thursday night football.
1: Back to the Mavericks, and where would this new arena Resort be located. Morning News has a, a story that just came out on their, their website this afternoon. Someone asked them to investigate and find out what's next for the old Texas stadium site in Irving, mm-hmm. which is not Dallas proper, which Mark Cuban said Dallas proper. But the reason people are asking about this site is because, they did some investigating a couple of weeks ago and found out the uh, a company connected with the Adelson family, owner of the Sands Casino, which recently bought the majority share of the Mavericks, purchased a 249-acre parcel of land adjacent to the old Texas Stadium site last summer. And what are they going to do with that property? This is what the city of Irving said. They had to talk about the way. The Cowboys Stadium... Stood over there at Texas Stadium for 38 years. They blew it up in 2010. Remember, they had the big implosion. They Mm -hmm. blew it up. They asked Beth Bowman, president and CEO of the Irving Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development, for insight on what's supposed to be happening. Since it was blown up in 2010, the site, which is owned by the city of Irving, has been used by the Texas Department of Transportation for staging vehicles and preparation for local highway construction projects such as the Irving interchange, which is going on right now. If you've noticed, they've widened the lanes, right? You've noticed 114, 183, I-35, all that stuff is happening right there. Irving is transforming the industrial space into a mixed use and transit oriented area. That's according to a document detailing stadium site redevelopment. They've looked at the plans. They say they aim to develop 400 acres, including the 80 acres that were former Texas stadium itself. The land is divided up into eight sections for development plans for over 9,200 residential units. The project is expected to generate 200. I mean, 20,500 jobs. Ooh. Those developments include corporate headquarters and international business district, retail services, and a missed residential buildings and a walkable urban environment. In other words, you know how you got these district that pop up like yeah. the design district, the Bishop arts district, they're going to make this thing a, a district. And according to the city of Irving website in 2025, this, sprawl of what they're doing right now with the interchange, it's going to be finished. Right now they say it's 81% complete. And according to text. the Spur 482, the Loop 12, the 114, and the 183 will be done in 2025. $355 million has been built to fix that road over there. They've also got a dark train station there and they're going to build a $45 million signature bridge. All of that And the Adelsons have bought into it. Will it be there? We don't know. But Mark Cuban says it's going to be in Dallas proper. Stay tuned for details. That part of the speculation is probably continuing.
0: The next half decade to a decade should be interesting. But the next segment should be interesting. Let's take a trip around the association next on The Get Right. Back here on the Get Right on 105.3 The Fan. We'll take a trip around the association in just a moment. Alec Medford and the three-time Hall of Famer Chris Arnold. Got you down. With you until 11 o'clock tonight. Tomorrow it will be myself and the fan phenom Blake Elliott as Reginald Atatula is on with the KNC Masterpiece. And Mike Bassick Uh, for the rest of this week. They will be live at Buffalo Wild Wings tomorrow. Make sure you go hang out with them. They'll have Jerry Jones on the show at 1030, so it's going to be an action-packed Friday right here, a football Friday on 105.3 The fam. but we got a lot of basketball going on tonight, so let's go ahead and take a trip around the association, the latest with the Dallas Mavericks and the Minnesota Timberwolves. It was tied up at 73 apiece, but in about the amount of time it took Larry to do that ad read, (laughs) the Mavericks (laughs) found a way to give up five points, and it is now 79-74 in favor of the Timberwolves. As the Mavericks were kind of chipping away, they got it tied back up. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. drawing a foul, knocking down his free throws. And uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves got a steal on Markeith Morris and took it down to the other end of the court. And now it's back in the Timberwolves' favor.
1: I give the Mavericks a little credit. I thought this was going to be a blowout like in Houston. Got no Luka, got no Kyrie, got all different injuries and whatnot. And they're playing off of a back to back. But hey, so far, they're still in the hunt, 79-74. And uh, this is the third quarter. Let's see how it plays out. Keep it right here. We'll give you the final, 10 o'clock.
0: Yes, sir. We will keep you up to date on the latest with this matchup when it does go final, as it is about midway through the third quarter. But the Mavs did make a two-way signing in the form of Brandon Williams out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, they signed him out of the... G League's magic as he was averaging almost 23 points a game four rebounds a game and five assists he actually made his NBA debut against the Mavericks back in 2021 with the Trailblazers on a 10-day contract Mm -hmm. so the Mavs have seen him before Jason Kidd spoke before the game about why the signing was made you know just one of those out of the blue two-way deals and he said look Uh, He can actually play when guys like Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving are missing time, and that allows us to keep our other starters and our other rotational guys in their natural positions. It's just a way Mm -hmm. for us to try to keep some continuity with the rest of the offense while a guy like Kyrie Irving is down with the injury, while a guy like Luka Doncic is getting some rest.
1: And he also played in the G League last year with A.J. Lawson, who's been showing up big time for the Mavericks. Uh, filling in for Josh Green from time to time. So he's got somebody on the squad that he knows they can hang out together.
0: So there you go. Just a little bit of background on the latest addition to the Dallas Mavericks roster. We do have other games.
1: Oh, my God. Did you see the score?
0: Of? In Boston. In the With the Boston Celtics and the Pistons looking for their first win in what feels like a decade. What's the score on that one?
1: With seconds to play, 44 seconds to play, it's all tied up. One oh eight, Actually, with four seconds left in the game, it's 108-108. to Boston's one of the best teams in the league, and Detroit is trying to snap, is it 27 or 28 games? 27? 27. It's an NBA record, 27 losses in a row. I thought they'd have to snap it against San Antonio in a couple of weeks. They might do it in Boston. How embarrassing for the Celtics. (laughs) The stoppage
0: in play is a Celtics timeout again 108 to 108 Ooh, if they are wee. able to do that on the road they are one in 14 on the road this season are the Pistons if they could knock off the 23 and six uh Celtics that would be something
1: they haven't won a game since the Rangers were trying to win the World Series the Rangers had won this world they, they were Rangers are three and0 since they last won that's something <laughs> and
0: we are going to overtime in that game it is the end of oh, the fourth quarter God. 108. Till eight. eight, it is incredible. At least they're
1: flapping their ears.
0: Man, I am pulling for them. Cade Cunningham is. Me too. He's having another good night.
1: Arlington's own.
0: Uh, last I checked, he was north of twenty points. Let's see, he has twenty six points on the night. He is a plus ten on the court. And he's pretty much the only guy that is a plus anything when the Pistons play a basketball game. So always rooting for the local guy. But, man, it seems like he puts up 40 points a night and they still find a way to lose by 15.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I hate about – I hate for them because, like I said, we were talking about this a couple of nights ago. Uh, the, the team that was in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, they were, the process, they had a long 20 some game. This is the longest streak since then. Yeah. It, it sets the NBA record. What you you hate to happen is young guys developing bad habits – and accepting losing, that's the only bad part about this because they actually got some young guys that are good. But then again, if you're a team that wants to make a trade, if they're foolish enough to give you one of their young, talented guys a new lease on life, go for it. Get them. But you don't want them to be stuck there. You get, they got to have something to look forward to. Otherwise, they just become just talented players who don't know how to win.
0: You put it the uh, best way, you painted the best picture, and hopefully they can do it. I'm going to keep a close eye on this score because it just got a lot more interesting for my money. But uh, there you have it with the Pistons and the Celtics going to battle. They will head into overtime elsewhere around the association. You do have the Pacers and the Bulls, 85-77 to 77 in favor of the Pacers on the road. Uh, the Jazz and Pelicans are early in the fourth quarter. The Pelicans up on the Jazz by 10, 87 to 77. And then you have the Denver Nuggets and the Grizzlies going to battle. The Grizzlies visiting the Nuggets. The Mm -hmm. Nuggets are up by 11, 52 to 41 in that matchup. So uh, the latest around the association. And I teased a bit of audio from Doc Rivers from one of the teams that has been one of the most fun to watch this season. And nobody expected it to happen this soon the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander specifically. Why am I bringing him and Doc Rivers up? Well, if you remember, Gilgis-Alexander SGA started off with the L.A. Clippers, and then a dude named Kawhi Leonard wanted to come to town, and he said, I'm not going to come to town unless you get me my guy Paul George in town, and... They had to trade SGA to get Paul George out of Oklahoma City. And so he was on the Bill Simmons podcast was Doc Rivers. And he was talking about that whole situation, getting Kawhi to the team. And he knew that SGA was going to be a star.
1: What was your reaction? Well, my reaction was we're getting Kawhi and Paul George uh, was happy. Having said that, I did bring it up, you know, and I did say, man, can we give them somebody else? Like, we cannot give up Shay. I even told Kawhi when he was saying, like, I need another guy. Uh, and Kawhi will verify. I kept saying, you know, Kawhi, Shay's going to be a star. Uh, but how long? I said, I don't know how long, but he's going to be one. You know, and, and, you know, so I think we saw it. We didn't know it was going to be this. You no didn't one know it was going to be that. this. Nobody did. Yeah, no one, no one knows that. But we saw greatness that this dude is going to be He's going to be a hell of a player. He's a hell of a worker. Uh, he's coachable. He's everything that you want in a star player. And we did see that. He's in the MVP conversation in Oklahoma City it's as incredible. we speak.
0: He was in the top three odds as of last night. So SGA has been incredible out there for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And uh, Doc Rivers also mentioning in that podcast when they were on that topic, he was you know kind of saying to Kawhi, you know, look, man, he's gonna be a star and Kawhi was like, How long is it gonna last? You right. know, like how, how long will it take? Yeah, we might need a little bit more time here. And it's just interesting to see how the dominoes fall there. And and yeah. Doc is like, Man, I, I I don't know if Kawhi was just bluffing there. And he he said later on in that episode, he was like, I think Kawhi, just in the conversations I had with him. He was going to come to town either way, whether or not we got Paul George. Mm-hmm. He, he said, I think personally it was going to happen. It was all just a bluff to try to force our hand because he admitted, he was like, he had all the leverage in that situation. Yeah.
1: And The, the thing was so crazy is they... There's a real chance he could go to the Lakers. He's definitely not going to stay in Toronto, even though he won the championship in Toronto and people love him in Canada. He loves Canada. He wanted to come home. When he was with the Spurs, he wanted to go home. Paul George, when he was with the Pacers, he wanted to go home. He goes to Oklahoma City because Pacers are like, we're not going to just send you to where you want to go. We're going to send you to Oklahoma City. He and Paul, he and uh, Russell Westbrooks hit it off, and he signed an extension with Oklahoma City to stay with Russell Westbrook. And then here comes Kawhi. So you want to go home? And so he goes home. And like you said, it might have been a bluff to tell the Clippers, I ain't coming if you don't bring Paul George with me. But it worked. And here's the irony. Now you also have Russell Westbrook, who grew up in L.A. He's gone home. And James Harden forced his way out of Philadelphia. He grew up in L.A. He's gone home. So you got four L.A. guys playing ball for the Clippers. The only problem is they're all old. And Shea Gillis Alexander is young.
0: There you have it. That's your trip around the association. We will keep you up to date on this Mavericks-Timberwolves game as the Mavs are down 93-84 to in the third quarter. But coming up next, let's talk about these Mavericks. What is the biggest disappointment the Mavericks have given you this season? 877-881-1053. Take this your own path. We'll talk about it next on The Get Right.